Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The brisk mountain air filled my lungs as I stepped off the charter bus and stood in front of the green forest of a Virginia nature park. I was here for a company retreat at an expensive cabin resort a few miles down the road. It all seemed like a bit much, but I was never one to turn down an extravagant gift. As one of the medical liaisons for the company, I was responsible for speaking with physicians about new drugs we had coming down the pipeline. I dabbled a bit in marketing as well to help bring focus to our more lucrative products. Though I'm still trying to get that added to my job description with a pay increase. I wasn't very passionate about it, to be honest. I was having my first life crisis as I approached 30, 
The light of fluorescent bulbs was a poor substitute for the sun, and looking out the windows of my office only served to torture me with prospects of the outside world. I wondered if staying in the office all day just to fly to other offices and convince doctors to buy the same drugs with a different patent and brand name was worth it. I was usually a complete homebody, however. Once upon a time when I was a little girl, you couldn't keep me inside. I spent the better part of my childhood in hormone-ridden teenage years exploring the woods and rivers near our house in the Pacific Northwest United States. Hell! I begged and pleaded with my parents until they allowed me to sign up for outdoor survival camps. I think it was sometime during college that a sudden bout with depression had killed that hobby of mine. The habits of staying inside on bright sunny days had entrenched itself into my leisure time. However, at the behest of my therapist, I decided to pick up hiking and running outside in nature as much as possible. I forgot how good the air felt in my lungs and the feeling of triumph when I ran just a little bit faster for a little bit longer that day. And while hiking, I had taken to snapping pictures of wildlife with my iPhone. Even with my salary, I couldn't justify buying an expensive camera when the one in my pocket did well enough. I'll be back every two hours, and the last pickup is at 7 p.m., if you need a ride after that, you'll have to pay for someone from the hotel to come and get you. The bus driver's gruff tone snapped me out of my haze. He gave me a lasting look for a moment. Make sure you mind the park rules. It's in yours and the park's best interest. I was a bit confused as he pulled off. I pushed it out of my mind and tied my braids into a short ponytail as I headed toward the visitor center. It doubled as the command station for the park rangers and was a moderately big one. Story building with large windows that ran from the side of the building facing the road to the large double doors in the front. As I entered, a welcome center greeted me to my right with an open circle of couches and a center table. Surrounded by a few smaller beat-up tables and chairs, and upon a long table with a leg propped up by old magazines, sat an old coffee maker with cream cups and sugar. A woman with brown skin, dark freckles, and curly brown hair shoved under a ranger's hat leaned over and grabbed a map as I approached the greeter's desk. Hello, miss, she smiled. I assume you're here to enjoy our wonderful nature trails and take in some sun. Been looking forward to it, as a matter of fact. I brimmed back and looked at the town maps and photos from across the decades. I kinda always wanted to slow down and live in a small town like this. It's not a bad town, actually. We're close enough to a city to not be a dust bowl, but it's pretty quiet outside tourist season. Y'all got here after the summer rush. Had to kick out a few visitors for causing some property damage and... Ah... Uh, we're still looking for a couple of others. She solemnly avoided eye contact as she turned toward a sign on the wall. Well, we only have three rules here at the park. Absolutely and under no circumstances are you to leave the trail. Now listen, no matter what you see or hear, do not disturb the bare carvings along the pass. If you haven't seen one in more than a quarter mile or roughly twenty minutes, or if you see... Any broken ones, then you turn back immediately. That was an odd way of putting it. No matter what I saw or heard, 
They seem to take forest preservation very seriously here. I nodded in acknowledgement. For sure, for sure. What about photography? I've kind of... Absolutely no photography once you've passed the fence post here. Her face grew stern, and she looked me directly in the eyes as she circled a marker that was about a mile from the entrance. Also, and this is an unofficial rule, but you may have the opportunity to see black bears in the area. The same rules apply as the carvings. Leave them alone and no pictures. We can't risk having them chased off. Uh, thanks, I guess. See you in a bit, then. I folded the map and put it in my pocket. The park closes at 7, 45 p.m., so that gives you some time before sunset. I would not suggest being here at night. Rangers may not be able to find you. I nodded hesitantly and left the station toward the hiking trail until I came upon a small wooden booth next to a bulletin board. I was glancing at the papers put up for the day, and quite a few were missing persons. It was always sad seeing these people. I thought maybe this is why they were so strict about the trail. Were the circumstances around the disappearances really so bad as to elicit such strict park rules? People like you end up on that board because they don't listen. I was startled by the gravelly and disgruntled voice of an older ranger sporting a salt-and-pepper goatee. He had to tilt his head down slightly to look at me. I was briefed on the way here, thanks. I responded, annoyed. You people never listen. I do everything I can to limit how many of you outsiders come here. They should just shut this damn place down. We already don't get enough funding. He stared off into the forest. But then... I didn't like the undercurrent of superiority that dripped off his tone. I'm fully capable of taking care of myself. I stated as I firmly pushed past him. The ranger was silent as I hastily jogged down the path. I noticed the waist-high bear carvings mentioned by the woman in the ranger station. The surrounding forest gave me chills as I made my way down the twisting trail. I couldn't argue with the park's inherent beauty that dispelled my uneasiness. I approached the first one, mile marker, and took it all in. After a few moments, I looked upon a split path, the trail on the right flat even and covered in footprints from visitors. The higher gradient laid to the left. Well, I do like to get a workout, I thought to myself. Plus, there was likely to be more wildlife on the path less traveled. Maybe I could sneak a few shots in. A few minutes up the path and the sun was beginning to lift my mood despite the heat of the rays bearing down. I began to feel that all too familiar high from being outdoors again. Well, hello there. I was startled and looked over to my right. Behind the tree line, their backs to the forest, stood a man and his wife wearing disturbingly wide smiles. He stood upright while she had her arm around his waist. Both sported matching blue tank tops. Everything below the husband's waist was obscured by foliage. They kind of looked familiar, but something was off, like she was holding on to him to keep herself from falling. Maybe she was just tired or injured. Nice day for it, isn't it? He gleamed, his wife still silent beside him, her smile not faltering an inch. Ah, uh, yeah, it truly is a beautiful park. I haven't seen any wildlife in this area yet. I assume there'd be quite a few here, hoping for at least a black bear. 
I looked further up the trail, but from the corner of my eye, I saw the man's smile twitch ever so slightly. Ah, oh, yeah, dear. I think they're just afraid of the trail cause of the people. Sun's really bearing down today. His wife finally spoke, but who the hell spoke like that? The sentences barely flowed together like a badly cut remix or post-mortem album. We saw some deer just behind us when we left the trail. We can show you. The wife nodded in a gesture behind them. I took a step forward, then froze. A faint, rancid smell wafted through the air and a sense of malice. Directed toward me came from deeper in the woods. Every part of my brain screamed at me to run. That's, that's fine. We're supposed to stay on the trail anyway, and I don't want to upset the park rangers any more than I have. Don't be ridiculous, said the man in a strained, almost staticky voice, still smiling. Shouldn't his cheeks be hurting by now? Just come on through. Can't see the good stuff if you stick to the rules. I'm fine, really. Maybe I'll see something up ahead, but I need to keep my heart rate going. Good line Nina really using those sales tactics. I do deserve a raise. The man's smile twitched again. Okay, he said slowly. Without another word, he and his wife took off deeper into the woods. The gait of their walk was weird, too, as if they were tied together in a three-legged race. Maybe she sprained her ankle, but by the time I thought to call after them, they were gone. I continued up the trail for another twenty minutes, and the trees had receded a bit, giving room for nice grassy areas to relax in. As I thought to cross the threshold kept by the wooden bear beside the trail, I heard a strange noise. Was that, was that something whimpering? I looked to the other side of the trail, and lo and behold, a foot behind the other bear carving was a red fox laying on its side, one of its back legs completely twisted around. Oh no, you poor thing. What happened? The fox looked at me with vaguely human eyes and continued to whimper and pull itself toward the woods. The poor thing was so scared, it whimpered and barked and yipped. Chirp! Chirp! And chirp to pull at my heart's dry. Wait, it sounded like a child doing their best impression. But I know I heard it. I stopped just before I was fully in the grassy patch, my back foot still in line with the bear carving. The fox froze and stared at me from the corner of its eye. As I started to back away, it turned toward me with a horrifying scowl. It rolled over onto its belly and slithered, crawled away. Its limbs moved, but slightly out of sync with one another. Its broken leg no longer an issue. Now that I think about it, it was more like a puppeteer trying to mimic walking while dragging it deeper into the woods. Crunch. Snap. Crunch. The distinctive sound of footsteps making their way through the forest. Was it the couple from earlier? I thought they had gone a different direction into the woods. Were they following me? I took off into a jog, but as I continued to hear the footsteps around me, I began to run. The sound of snapped branches and broken leaves came closer and closer. I began to sprint, but no matter how fast I ran, the footsteps were right behind me. It must be them. The timing matched that weird walk I noticed before, but how would they be able to keep up with me like this? Fancy seeing you again, 
I pressed on the balls of my feet, stopping so hard I nearly fell over. The rancid smell began to fill my nostrils. In the trees right before the left path, in a fork in the road, leaning a hand on a broken bear carving was the couple, their front obscured. It was like someone had shoved the bottom half of the wife through the husband's torso and melded them together. She hung forward on her husband's left side and held herself upright on a broken bear carving. Three legs supported them, the center a peg of twisted and gnarled flesh broken off at the ankle. Something had clearly misunderstood the architecture of the human body. We didn't think we'd kick a cack catch. Up to ya, choked out the wife. We thought we might have heard someone call. I'm so cold. It hurts. And wanted to make sure you was all right. Safe, dear. It's just not safe. Keep run. Running, safe in the forest. The husband stuttered out, once again mimicking random lines from a tape recorder. The smell grew stronger, and I could feel that menacing presence on the trails to my left and right. It was all an encompassing and suffocating darkness that corrupted the soil, the animals, and the very air itself. I needed to get away. I needed to run to the only place I couldn't feel a sense of dread, and before I knew it, I had taken off straight down the middle of the fork into the woods. Faster and faster I ran, hearing the clumsy clambering of the coupled monstrosity behind me. I felt the cutting air of hands that barely missed the nape of my neck as I ran. I attempted to cut perpendicular to the straight path I had been running, hoping I would run into another path again. The footsteps behind me began to grow distant and my lungs were on fire. I ducked behind a large rocking tree, trying to quiet my exasperated breaths. Are you okay, miss? An echoey voice called out ahead of me. A man stood in a ranger's uniform. This head hidden underneath his hat. Come here, miss. Away from the forest. Not safe. I didn't notice the jerky extension of his hand as he beckoned me toward him. Neither did I notice the return of the rancid smell that had stalked me earlier. I just wanted so badly to believe I was safe. I started to stand up and walk toward him, but he lifted his head and all that. Was there was a shifting, dark void of tendrils inside a cavity where the man's face had once been. Watch out, ma'am. Get back. Gunshots rang out from the void. Still hungry, bored with this one. You are desired. A croaky whisper emanated through my head. I fell back into a sitting position and held my head in my hands. The entity stepped toward me with an abysmal purpose, its hand extended, jerking back and forth at the wrist. Darkness enclosed around me and my vision blurred. Everything was getting so cold. There was a deep roar in the distance, an intimidating and hungry roar that grew louder as it approached. Oh, God, what the hell is going to happen now? I thought... I must be in the maw of the beast, my inside soon to be devoured. I'll just be a hollow husk. But then nothing happened. I sat for a few seconds as a roar sped past me and a wet nose sniffed at my face. I opened my eyes to a black bear, large and drooling and hailing me deeply, before chuffing and chasing off after two other bears further into the woods. I forced myself up my legs still a bit stiff with fear, and tried my best to orient myself back the way I came. 
I quickly built up to a run, following the specks of orange sunlight that grew more frequent the further I went. I might be closing back onto the trail I ran from earlier, and relief began to wash over my body. Hey, friend! Fancy seeing you again! Hey, you stalking us! To my left, effortlessly galloping along, was a couple. Dark tendrils had burst through every orifice in their face, snaking and grasping at the air. Their faces were still twisted into smiles that now hung loosely from broken jaws. The wife bobbed to and fro, grabbing nearby trees to pull themselves closer to me. They started to scream in agony, begging for mercy. Their last words played back at wildly varying tempos. I began to see the trail again in the distinct outline of a wooden bear. I could do this, I told myself. Just run a little faster. Just a little faster. Just jump. Thwack. I landed hard. I looked forward to my fingers that fell just short of the trail. Then there was the sound of a person being tackled followed by a vicious roar. A few feet from me, an old scar-ridden bear had put all his weight on the couple. The flayed trees to the side of me indicated he had charged in perpendicular to us. Two adolescent black bears had their jaws around the couple's neck and face. One bit down, cracking the face and skull like an egg, and began tearing at the dark tendrils inside. The other tore their head off entirely and tore at the darkness like crab legs. They were eating them. The old bear sniffed in my direction, inhaling deeply as the bear deeper in the woods had. Disappointed, he turned his attention back to their kill and began to work his way through the torso. I thanked every god and spirit for the hungry animal that saved me. The sun was setting by the time I had emerged, and night had blanketed the sky as the ranger booth came into view, almost an hour later. The park ranger I met on the way in stood with three others, including the head ranger who accosted me earlier at the notice board. Prick. Son of a bitch. There she is. The old ranger walked briskly over to me. The young ranger from inside the station had her shotgun raised. Put that damn thing down, Rita. If that thing was inside her, she wouldn't have made it past the carvings. He glanced over to the wooded area that snaked with the path behind me. Besides, she ain't gibbering at us from a meat suit. Shell, actually. They're more like hard shells. I huffed out as we passed the notice board, and I saw the familiar missing photos of a middle-aged couple in matching blue tank tops. Beside them was the photo of a young park ranger leaning on a wooden bear and smiling. Once inside the station, they sat me down on a couch and brought out a blanket before giving me a bowl of leftover chili from upstairs and a Gatorade. I poked around at the chili in between small bites. My mind was still trying to wrap itself around the events of the day. The head park ranger sat next to me, his hat in his hands, the thinning hair on his head turning gray. I lost my protege to that thing. Kid had his whole life in front of him, and he wouldn't listen to reason. He knew. I mean, he just knew that he had heard them calling from the woods. He sat up a little bit straighter. He never believed me much, and that's fair. Most people here don't believe until they see a deer standing upright, a bird bobbing up and down in the sky like a goddamn cartoon reel. But goddamn it, 
he choked back tears and rubbed his temple. Nobody was ever stupid enough to actually go in on their own. You could just feel something was wrong, but you, he pointed at me, you've seen it, you've survived its tricks, and yet didn't do anything to hurt it. But yeah, goddamn survived it. He rose to his feet and put his ranger hat back on. I stared out the window for a moment, still in shock of what happened. But the sheriff's point about survival struck a chord in me. I learned a lot today about how parks work, and I suspect you might have an opening. The old ranger looked at me quizzically before a slight smile crossed his face. The position wouldn't be super fancy, but I imagine it would allow someone to slow down a bit if they were interested. Help us get what we need to keep the people safe and certain wildlife confined. And that's it. That's how I came to live my small town dreams as a park ranger in Virginia. I took over marketing, and after a couple of rangers said they'd started seeing more cubs further up the trail, I've pushed the idea of us being a black bear sanctuary. As such, the public was encouraged to stay on the trail for a clear and conscious reason instead of a vague horror movie warning. We've raised a lot more money this way as well. We repaired the broken bear carvings on the trail I was on just a couple years earlier. We have no idea who made them or where they come from, but we've tried recreating them with varying results. It's just a hunch, but I think that thing can't tell the difference between a fake one and a real one if it's carved just right. The current world situation has really given us the time to get our ducks in a row and shore up any safety holes as people were stuck at home. However, our state has declared that it is opening up again soon and people are antsy. This town saw its fair share of tourism before, but other parks in the U.S. have reported waves of visitors in numbers they haven't seen in a while. People are hauling their families and friends anywhere that isn't home, and this is a problem. We are going to lose people, but I don't believe that number has to be significant. So why did I tell you all of this? Is it to warn you against going to national parks? No, I fully believe you should patronize them as much as possible. We need the funds, but I'm saying that the world out there holds horrors you couldn't imagine. Hell, from what I've heard from rangers at other parks, everyone has their own problems they have to handle, all unique in their own way. So please, come out and enjoy yourselves. Just abide by park rules. Oh yeah, and please stop by the gift shop on your way out. All proceeds go to the park's office of operations and donations are always welcome. Ask for Nina in marketing and project management for more details on how you can help. When I was very young, under 10, my dad would take us to various deer leases for the weekends here in central Texas. There were always cabins of some sort for us to stay in. This one weekend, we went to a lease near Eagle Lake where there was an old A-frame house. One room affair, really. That was at the end of a very windy road. You couldn't see the house until you came right up on it. Well, this one weekend, we came driving out of the oaks only to notice that there was smoke coming from the chimney, trash all over the yard, etc. There weren't any vehicles, though. My dad stopped the truck, got out his rifle, glassed the house for a little while, 
then decided whoever was there must have cleared out when they heard the truck coming, and seeing as how there was no way we would have missed the vehicle leaving, they must have bugged out on foot. I still have dreams twenty years later about walking into the house to look around. Whoever had been there obviously loved to smoke, as there were ashes and cig butts everywhere. Most of the canned goods we stored up there had been eaten, the cans dumped in the yard, and there was a pot of deer corn. Yes, deer corn boiling on the stove. The thing that has stuck with me over the years was the smell in the open coloring book scattered on the table with crayons dropped in mid-coloring. Out there in the woods was some poor family with at least one kid. I imagine they sat watching us for quite some time before giving up and wandering off. My dad, lacking much sense, decided that we were staying the weekend. Yeah, didn't sleep much. Went camping with my buddies on Canyon Lake, about an hour or two outside San Antonio, Texas. This night was drenched in very bizarre occurrences, and I remember it as one of the worst nights of my life. We were swimming, fishing, drinking beers. Then things got strange. Living in a big city, I rarely got to see stars in myriads, clear and ineffable. I was admiring them with a buddy until what looked like ten shooting stars began zooming off in different directions. My heart was racing, and I couldn't believe what we had just saw. Once the all-fated couple buddies and I went into the wooded area to play drunken hide-and-seek, we paired up. Not five minutes in, we hear our friend yell loudly. We rushed towards his voice. He was hunched over by a tree. He looked at us and shook his head, saying, Dude, red eyes. I saw red eyes just staring at me, not more than ten feet away. So we all ran back to camp. It sounded like a cliché prank, but my buddy still to this day sticks to his story and has trouble being alone at night, finally to end the night. We retired to our tents. I had a compartment tent with some friends. I was sitting outside of it with one of them when our buddy Percy walked up saying something under his breath. He finally started raving about how he needs to go home, and he can't be there any longer, and he started holding his head, and he fell to his knees. We tried to console him, and he got aggressive, got up and pushed me hard into the tent. I got upset, and he said I didn't understand. I don't know what he was talking about, and neither did he, because he swore up and down that it never happened, and that he'd never say things like that or push me. I will not be returning to Canyon Lake. True story. I went on a Bigfoot finding expedition last fall in Oklahoma. I went with a buddy who had been on a few and who would turn down some camping time. I would have categorized myself as a serious skeptic at the time, especially after last summer's Bigfoot hoax. Everybody on the expedition seemed pretty knowledgeable about the outdoors, open and very honest. We hiked some at night, and some of the more experienced ghosts tried wood knocks and calls. Sometimes they would get a very faint answer. Whether it was the real deal or a local half a mile off having fun, I couldn't tell, and I wasn't entirely convinced. We did hear something in the camp near our tent at night, as there were some dead leaf cover. 
It definitely sounded bigger than a raccoon or a puzzle. Other members pointed out what they said were tracks in the leaves nearby. Nothing definitive, mind you, but they were kind of foot-shaped and dwarfed my friend-size 17 boots. My buddy and I got to go off with some very cool Gene three-night vision equipment later in the weekend. He's about six foot seven and 400 pounds, so he's no wallflower. We were about 1,000 meters or so ahead of the rest of the group on an old logging road, and we were watching some bats flying around through the night vision. I suddenly had a very uneasy feeling, like I was being watched, and the hair on my neck immediately stood on end. About three seconds later, my friend whispers, something isn't right. We need to go back to the group. I have to admit my uneasy feeling went to genuine fear pretty quick. We never told anybody else about it, but he admitted that he had the same exact feeling and was pretty damn scared. All of this could have a rational explanation, pranks or the like, but it was pretty damn creepy. I'm not convinced there is something out there, but shook my skeptical view. My family owns a farm near the Missouri or Iowa border, and I've had a few unsettling experiences where I felt as though I was being followed, triggering the instinctual fight or flight response. We have come across freshly killed deer, and there was recently a young cougar shot on a farm a few miles away, indicating the presence of a fully grown one in the area. One particular experience left me so frightened that I refused to go back there. Behind Fort Leavenworth lies the Missouri River, with miles and miles of swamp and forest that are off-limits to people. One night, we were camping a few miles downstream from the fort. Equipped with a high-powered spotlight emitting millions of candle power, we directed its beam towards some points that jutted out into the river. On one of those points, something reflected back at us, two eerie yellow eyes. As soon as the spotlight illuminated the reflections, they swiftly retreated back into the depths of the forest. About an hour later, as we sat by our campfire fishing, a large rock flew over our heads and plunged into the water in front of us. Startled, we hastily left the area and sought refuge in the city park where other campers were gathered. The next morning, we returned to the campsite and discovered the rock that had narrowly missed us. It must have weighed around 25, 30 pounds, and the location from which it was thrown was uphill from where we were seated, defying any logical explanation. My hunting partner, Ed and I, were into the second week of the Oregon bow season. It was about six when we came upon a stock pond. These ponds are fed by a small spring or a small creek. We decided to circumnavigate it to see if we could see what was watering in the area. I went left, it went to the right. I hadn't gone far when I came to a depression in the muddy, gravely pond edge. It looked like a very big, heavy person had left a footprint there. I got down and saw that there were toe impressions at the front. Well, I called Ed over to see this, and he said there was another one behind the first. We backtracked the prints and found what appeared to be skid marks on the hillside of the pond. This was just next to the small trickle of water which fed the pond. The hair on the back of my neck stood right up. 
We went up the hill for about 40 yards, but found indistinguishable impressions in the trashy undergrowth. We went back down and tracked them in the other direction, and the impressions, overturned pebbles, broken and bent grasses, went about 100 yards down a hill into a ravine, thick with manzanita and small scrub oak. We then went back to the foot tracks and covered them with logs so they wouldn't be destroyed. Went home and got some plaster of Paris. We made the impressions, and we were shocked to find that there were definitely toes on one cast. The other was in too much gravel to make a good impression. At the same time, I took some pictures of Ed stretching to match the stride of the prints. The next week, we went into the same area, same skid road, about 300 yards past the stock tank. We were walking side by side when something to my left and slightly behind us, up the hill, approximately 100 yards. Something caught my eye. I spun around to see what it was, and to my astonishment I saw a pair of legs running into the thick underbrush. I couldn't see all of it because of the trees. My impression was of a two-legged creature, animal with long brown hair on the legs running away from us. Ed saw the branches swinging back into place, but saw nothing else. We both got spooked and quickly went back to the truck and never hunted there again. I gave the plaster cast to my nephew in San Jose, California, and have never seen them again. I still have the photos of Ed stretching to match the stride. The footprints measured 18 foot long by 6 across the heel, and 8 foot across the ball of the foot. I got some hair samples from a star thistle down in the ravine, and I still have them. There's this stretch of river far north of town that I liked hiking alongside. I'd never seen anyone else out there, and I enjoyed the simplicity and peacefulness of that isolation. One morning I took my dog with me and we were crossing a shallow stretch of the river while she was tethered to my belt. She's a calm, friendly dog. Hardly ever barks and is always happy to meet strangers and other creatures. But when we reached the middle of the river, she suddenly started barking and jumping around on her tether like something was coming at us. I swiveled around and saw that she was just barking at some middle-aged guy in an oversized red t-shirt standing on the riverbank we'd just left. At first I was relieved that it wasn't a mountain lion or bear, so I waved to him and said hello, but he just kept standing there staring at us without any expression on his face. Meanwhile, my dog kept snarling, barking, and pulling at her leash like she wanted to get free to go kill him completely uncharacteristic of her. I tried to get her to calm down, but she was lost in her fury, so I just started slogging my way towards the other riverbank, towing her behind me. I kept glancing back at the guy and saw that he'd started pacing up and down the riverbank, still watching us. I waved to him again and told him to have a good day. Stranger, but again he didn't acknowledge it. Just kept pacing and then stopping to stand there staring at us dog kept going nuts with the barking and snarling until we climbed up the other river bank and put a few layers of trees and rocks and foliage between us and the guy. The rest of the hike, whenever she'd tense up and perk her ears up and look off into the woods, I'd get a bit paranoid and fish the folding knife out of my pocket in case it was the red shirt guy following us and not just some little critter drawing her attention.
took a roundabout long way back to my car that crossed the river in a different spot from where we'd seen him. I want to preface before that, I've always somewhat believed in these type of creatures, aliens, skinwalkers, windigos, spirits, etc., but I've always been the kind of person who doesn't 100% believe or not in something. I've just always believed that it's possible, so why not? But of course, just like anyone else who hasn't experienced something, I had my doubts. Also, I wanted to add that I am not the type to be scared of entities. When it comes to what I believe and how I see spirits, I am never scared of them. I understand them, and I have always connected with them. Last night, I was with my partner and our friend, and we were at a place called Rafe Chasms in Gloucester, Massachusetts. We got there at about 9.30 p.m., and we were just going to have a fire on the rocks by the water. You had to walk through some wooded area to get to the rocks, and as we pulled up to the area, I had a bad feeling for some reason. And usually trust my intuition, but I told myself I was just psyching myself out. Once we got to the spot, I immediately felt a weird feeling, but again, I, I told myself I was just making things up. Even so, I didn't turn my back to the open space, and I was turned facing towards the woods, a rock area. As the people I were with watched the fire, I stared out into the darkness, feeling like something was watching us. I decided to go to a rock further away from the fire so my eyes could adjust to the darkness. And lo and behold, I see a translucent white figure about 50 feet away from us, on top of the rocks on the other side of the area, pretty high up. It was moving back and forth, and it looked about five, six feet tall. It starts to scale down the rocks, and when I say scale, I mean fast like faster than humanly possible. And as it's doing that, it gets smaller and turns into the shape of an animal like a coyote or wolf. Shapeshifters usually are. Said take form is one of these. I say, is that an animal? And my partner looks over and immediately gets super sketched out just as I was. The other person we were with wasn't bothered by it for some reason. He said he saw it, but in the moment was trying to convince us it was a person. He was drunk. As I see it coming towards us, I get absolutely horrified that it's going to kill us. I tried to go up higher on the rocks to get away from it. I literally thought that was it. I thought I was going to die. I had the most horrifying feeling, and it was genuinely the scariest, most terrifying thing I have ever felt or seen. I pulled out my phone and shined my flashlight on it to make sure I'm not tripping. And I think that it deterred whatever it was away from us because it ended up running into the woods and disappearing. My partner and I were completely horrified and my legs were violently shaking. I said that we need to leave immediately. The friend that we were with wanted to stay to finish his drink, but we wanted to go. He told us that he would prove that it was a human by trying to run down the rocks as fast as he could to prove that a human could go that fast. But when he did, we could hear him running around, and that's the scary part about what we saw. It was completely silent as it went down the rocks and back up them. We weren't able to process what had happened until we had gotten home after we dropped our friend off. When we did, we decided to do some research about skinwalkers in the area where we were. Here's what we found. 
The first few things that come up when you Google Rafe's chasm in Gloucester is several articles of deaths that have occurred right where we were. Now each one states that the deaths were from the waves knocking the people off and drowning them. But this wasn't what freaked us out. I continued to scroll and I came across this weird website. It was a website for stock photos, but for some reason the description included the name of the location we were. When I clicked the website, I literally could not believe what I saw. Proof is attached. The image of whatever creature that is looked a lot like what we had seen earlier that night. We still have no idea what to make of this situation, but all I know is I am still scared. Also, needed to add that earlier in the night, I heard an owl, and I made sure I said something about it to my friend and partner because I love owls. I just heard one woo. I later in the night read that an owl is the eyes. For the walkers, which is very interesting, has anyone else experienced something like this? After a stressful day at work, I had gone over to my friend's apartment to shoot the breeze, eat some food, and play a few games on my friend's PS4. It was getting late, and I had to be up fairly early the next day. My friend walked me out to the parking lot to my car. There was no one else in the parking lot, just us two. As I was unlocking my car, a dog walked out from the side of a nearby building about 25 feet away. It came fully into view and stopped to look at us. It was a little bigger than a standard Great Dane. It was all black with long hair that appeared to be falling out in clumps. It had long ears and a long, scraggly tail. I remember making eye contact with it. It had dark, maroon-colored eyes. And in the moment we locked eyes, it smiled at us. But instead of a dog's lips going up and back, the lips went slightly sideways and I saw white human teeth. I recall suddenly getting a feeling of dread and fear. I felt like it was something disguised as a dog and pretending to be a dog. But it wasn't a dog. I'm certain of it. The energy coming off of this thing didn't feel dog-like. I don't know how else to describe it, but my hair went up on end. It turned around from us and began limping slowly back around the corner from where it had stepped out from. It seemed to have most of its weight on its front legs, walking with a hunched back. When it was limping away, I noticed its rear left foot was wrapped in blue gauze and the foot looked very odd. The heel was actually parallel to the ground. I am unsure if my friend saw exactly what I saw, but she suddenly said, It's leaving. Let's follow it. And she ran after the damn thing, right after it disappeared around the corner. I remember being scared for my friend, so I went sprinting after her. I rounded the corner to find my friend, looking around confused. The dog thing was gone. At the rate that it was walking and limping and given the close proximity to us, which again was no more than 25 feet, there was no way that it could have disappeared that quickly. The air was suddenly extremely cold, even for South Texas January. My teeth were chattering, and I told my friend to quickly go back to her apartment, lock the door, and stay inside. I warned her that that thing was not a dog and told her I'd text her when I got home. Once safe at home, I texted my friend and thought that was going to be the end of it. But even as I settled into bed, my heart was racing. It didn't help that, 
Around 12 a.m., there was low whistling right outside my window. My neighbor's house isn't too far from mine, but they're good people, and there is no logical reason for them to be that close to my window at night, whistling. I didn't make any indication that I was aware of the whistling. It wasn't even musical, just the sort of whistle someone is giving if they're trying to get attention. Eventually, the whistling stopped, and I heard nothing else. I had trouble sleeping. I haven't seen anything or experienced anything like it since. I would like to state that although I do believe people experience alien abductions on a regular basis, I don't think I fall into that category. However, I do suffer from various sleep conditions such as insomnia and night terrors, and I've had few experiences that certainly fall into the attempted abduction category, even though I don't believe it's happening to me. But you're welcome to judge for yourself if you like. A few months into a new relationship, I woke up to find a huge seven-foot-tall, at least, reptilian being with horns grabbing me by the wrist and trying to pull me out of bed. This is what I saw, as in, I was asleep at the time, in the middle of sleep paralysis, very aware that this was happening, but not being able to do anything about it. So I struggled to fight off the thing and break out of the sleep paralysis episode. To my sleeping boyfriend, now husband, he thought I was stirring in my sleep, so he moved so I could get up, and I punched him full in the face. Of course, once that happened, I snapped out of it and was hugely embarrassed by what had happened, but he was thankfully okay about it. On another occasion, I woke up in my room in the middle of a sleep paralysis episode, unable to move, very aware that there were two graves in my room. One next to my bed, one at the head of my bed. I mentally thought, OMG, there are greys in my room. They began to disappear through the wall and the floor, and almost instantly the sleep paralysis lifted. Since that moment, I've slept with a TV on or some sort of light source. I'm 36 years old, if I happen to be on my own for whatever reason. It seems to stop the episodes, strangely enough. I've also experienced missing time. I used to work in a convenience store, and the route from my house to the store involved a short walk to the end of my road, crossing another road and circling a block of shops, and all around a ten-minute walk if I take it slow. So one morning, after a particularly nasty bout of insomnia, I left my house at a quarter to six in the morning for my 6 a.m. start. I walked down my road and began crossing the other road when my manager calls me on my phone. Where are you? It's twenty past seven. I've had to open on my own. Somehow, that little five-minute walk to the end of my road had taken me nearly an hour and a half, and I have no explanation as to why. There hadn't been a time change, do you? Here in England, we go forward back an hour twice a year, and even if there had, smartphones, etc., change automatically. I don't recall anything about the morning walk apart from feeling like I was waxing through treacle because I was so tired. I grew up on a street that opened up to a huge canyon or national park that had a train track running through the middle of it. My cousins and I would walk down it all the time when we were younger and explore. 
It had a very, very minor homeless problem in which men would live down there and walk up through the neighborhoods. Cops were called, and for the most part, it was pretty empty. When I was 13, I decided to walk my dog on my own down in the canyon. We had done it before, and I thought nothing of it. As we get down to the trail, we begin walking, and after five minutes, I get a weird feeling I shouldn't be there. I grab my dog's leash and decide to run up the side of the canyon, which opened up into my neighbor's backyards. I am almost all the way up, sprinting through ice plants, when I stop to take a breath and look down. I see two rough-as-shit-looking homeless men walking on the trail I was just on. Now, I don't want to assume anything here, but as a 13-year-old girl still wearing her school uniform, I was flipping terrified. I don't know what told me to leave, but I'm glad I did. Definitely one of the creepiest things I've experienced. The following story may sound somewhat far-fetched, given the accused shapeshifter's reputation, but I believe my friend 100%. Basically, a well-known Lakota chief was a shapeshifter and practitioner of black magic. My friend in Rosebud, South Dakota, told me that she has seen his legs begin to turn to dog legs during the ceremony, where she was a food vendor. She would beat a hasty retreat when she would see this. She is from Oregon and is part of the Klamath tribe. Oddly, out in Oregon, she was adopted by Lakota people and then married a Lakota man. The following story is somewhat sordid and tragic. My friend reported to me that the Lakota chief was getting up in years and had a much younger wife. This wife was so shameless that she would yell out of her tent at pow. Wows and other gatherings asking who would come and service her, because her old man cannot do so. I'm ready to barf just typing that. I'm sorry. Unfortunately and stupidly, my friend's son, S.B., became involved with Lakota Chief's wife. This got S.B. a mark on his head. S.B. was beaten and left for dead by the Lakota Chief's henchmen. A good Samaritan stopped and got him help, and he was revived. Later, S.B. was called because he heard that a res girl was being attacked. That time, Speed was killed by the Lakota chief's men who had set him up. They kept moving the body, so it took five years to find it. Nobody in the tribe would talk, and there has never been justice for S.B. The Lakota chief and his family were a bunch of meth-head black magicians. The chief himself was a shapeshifter and murderer. If you compare the obituary in the Lakota times to that of the rest of the world, you will see exactly what the actual Lakota people thought of him V's. The glamorous image and legacy he left behind. This is a case of bad people sometimes doing the right thing. I thought that I would mention this to you as it is an example of shape-shifting, possibly skinwalker, as far north as South Dakota. As to a bundle and pipe given to the Lakota, it was later sold it to two German women several years ago after the holder became drunk. The woman who bought it died soon after. As in the churches, there is a serious illness in the medicine lodge. My Hopi friend recently told me that they have a prophecy that states, Our children will kill us. In the next breath, he said that everyone in his village is walking around like zombies with their cell phones. It would appear that the prophecy is being fulfilled right now. This was a heavy note to receive.
I've kept this inside of me for over 55 years, and I think it's time that I disclose the event, which took place in 1965. My brother, who I will refer to as Sam, and I witnessed aliens abducting two young girls who lived in the trailer next door. We never told a soul about this encounter, and now that he has passed, I am the only person left to recount the events of that fateful night which changed our lives forever. We were living near Bossia City, Louisiana, as our father was deep underground in the Air Force missile silos, and he worked for days at a time in these bunkers. He had just come home on a three-day leave, and we were so happy to be able to spend time with him. Sam and I played rough with our dad all day, and we were bushed come bedtime. I slept in the upper bunk and my brother in the lower Suddenly, around 3 or 4 a.m., we were both awakened by a low, thundering sound in the most brilliantly colored light display just outside our window at the foot of our bunk bed. I moved to the window and looked down to see Sam looking out as well. We both watched a flying saucer land in the field close to our neighbor's trailer. Our family was very close to these neighbors, and the two young girls living there were friends to my brother and me. I can't recall their names, but they were approximately seven and ten years old. We debated about waking our parents, but we were so frightened and thought if we woke them, they start turning on outside lights or walk outside with weapons. There would be bloodshed and sheer panic in the trailer park, so we sat very quietly and simply observed. This flying saucer was about fifty feet in diameter and had multicolored lights around the perimeter. Everything beneath the craft was distorted and wavy as it was gently settling down in the dirt field. There were four metal legs that slid down from the craft, with round pads on each. All of the lights on the craft went out within about thirty seconds after it landed, but a light blue glow started to envelop the craft, and it made the area around it glow as well. Then a ramp slid down from the craft and a door opened up and we could partially see inside the ship. There were dull red and orange lights on the walls and an electrical crackling sound emanating from the interior. Then the interior lights went out and the weird sound stopped. Suddenly, a figure started to walk down the ramp and was followed by another. Now, Sam and I were never allowed to watch any science fiction shows or movies with aliens or spaceships. I had never even seen a drawing or picture of a saucer before this. We were allowed to watch cartoons like Scooby-Doo and Bugs Bunny, along with shows like The Wonderful World of Disney and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. So, this was truly an adventurous night for us, and definitely something very new. The first two beings walking down the ramp made their way into the light of our neighbor's yard. There was a light on the back of their trailer and their porch. When they got closer to the brighter light on their porch, we could see they were dressed in the same color suits. But the weird thing was that their skin appeared to be the same color as well. They looked human in shape and size, but moved in a way that made them function more like robots. Every movement was very smooth and effortless, as though they were moving about in the water. They now remind me of the Blue Man Group from Vegas because they were completely blue all over. Then another two beings exited the craft, and they were green, another two that were red. 
until there were six of them in all. They walked in line up to the door of the trailer. They all passed right through the door without opening it. That scared the heck out of us, more so than the landing of the craft. We were asking each other, did you see that? What are they going to do with our friends? Minutes later, they passed through the door again, and they were leading the two girls all the way back to their ship. The girls appeared as though they were sleepwalking and even had their eyes closed. They walked just fine without any help from these strange beings. Now, if you're wondering, yes, the girls passed right through the door without it being opened too. About five minutes later, they exited the ship and lead the girls back into the trailer. But when the beings passed through the door for the last time as they were coming out, they all crouched down slightly, turned, and looked directly at our window. Each one did this in succession, and they smiled and waved at us. Now at this point, my brother and I were in complete shock. We were also completely mesmerized. I looked at Sam, and he looked at me, but we were unable to say a word. They entered the ship, and as the last one went inside, the interior lights returned. The strange noise started up again and the door closed. The ramp slid back up inside the craft, and as it slowly lifted off the ground, the four legs retracted up as well. The amazingly colorful lights came back on around the perimeter of the ship, and it slowly lifted skyward, until it was about 25 feet in the air. Then it shot straight up and out of sight in less than a second. The last being standing at the door of the ship waved at Sam and me before it closed. I thought I should point that out as well, because that is the lasting image that burned into my memory ever since that strange night. My brother and I talked about that night, possibly thousands of times before he passed away in 2009. But we never discussed it with anyone else, ever. We tried so hard to see if there was anything different about our neighbor's daughters after that night, but we didn't notice anything unusual. That event troubles me to this day. More so than any other event, I have often wondered if Sam and I were the actual abductees, and the memory of the girl's abduction was planted. But in any case, two or possibly even four people were contacted, abducted that night. Of that I am sure. I now need to find answers to this event somehow. Even if it means going to a qualified hypnotist experienced in the abduction phenomena, I have to know exactly what happened in 1965. I wonder if those two young girls are now going through abduction therapy as adults. So many unanswered questions, and I think about that night every single day of my life. I need to get this monkey off of my back somehow, and this helps to finally tell the world about that strange night.